our our guest uh, preacher this morning is more well known to Daryl Fenton than than to me, and so I didn't want to make any mistakes. And so y'all y'all know Daryl, and I would like to invite Daryl to come up to introduce our guest. Great to be back among you again. Two hundred and nine years ago, in the east end of London, the Anglican Church's ministry among Jewish people under a different name began. And it's been a great pleasure for me each of these last three years to spend ten days working with my colleague from the UK, the executive director of CMJ, the Church's ministry among Jewish people in Great Britain. Alex is a, uh, I've had the privilege this week particularly of sitting under his teaching. He's a, a deep and serious preacher of the word and student of the word and author. In fact, we have a resource table outside during the, during the coffee hour. Feel free to come over. One of his books is there, several uh, pamphlets that he's written. I trust that this morning you will benefit from his ministry as much as I have this week. Uh, he's, a, he's started his career as a minister in the United Reformed Church of England, took the helm of, of CMJ in the U.K. 11 years ago. He's been a persuasive advocate for, uh, against anti-Semitism in the U.K., but also a leader of, a, of teams there that bring Yeshua, Jesus, to the Jewish people in a way that's both sensitive but effective. So I pray you welcome him. Alex, come and open the word for us to hear. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Daryl. It's really kind. Thank you. <clears throat> Will you please pray with me? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in your Son, Jesus Christ, is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Touch our hearts and our minds today so that each one here may receive humility and faith. Without these gifts of your spirit, no one can receive the truth. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Firstly, I'd like to uh, thank the leadership team here at the church for inviting me to preach. Thank you for Daryl's kind introduction. Uh, it's been great to get to know Daryl again over this last ten days. And uh, I really value his ministry here in the USA, a very, very important ministry. Um, again, if you've got questions about what we do uh, with the church's ministry among Jewish people, uh, how we do it, and perhaps most importantly, why we do it, do please have a chat with Darrell or I after, after the, the, the service concludes. I want to focus today on three of the readings you heard this morning. Firstly, from Ezekiel. And then from that wonderful, well-known psalm, Psalm 23, and, uh, and then the gospel, uh, where Jesus speaks about himself as a good shepherd. And I also want to, again, just thank you for the welcome uh, we've received here over this weekend. It's been really, really lovely, and great to be here with the, with the worship. I love the, those musicians. I love that harmonic guitar. That was just great. So thank you, musicians. Thank you. Uh, been making me feel very much at home. And I do send greetings to you from my home church in Cambridge in England. And uh, uh, I know many people are praying for you here this morning. So what connects those three readings you heard uh, this morning? Ezekiel, 23rd Psalm, and John's Gospel. What connects those readings? 
I think what jumps out to me, um, having prepared this earlier, is that the image or the theme of the shepherd is central to those readings. The importance of the shepherd and the shepherd's image runs not just in those three readings, but in many ways throughout the Bible. It's arguably one of the strongest motifs, one of the strongest themes in the scriptures, the idea of the shepherd, both the bad shepherd, as in Ezekiel, and the good shepherd. And probably in our own lives, in our own discipleship, if we're believers in Jesus, this relating to God as the shepherd is an important part of our discipleship and maybe our prayer life. As a young child, uh, one of the first prayers I ever learned was called the shepherd's prayer. Uh, Maybe you you, you know it, it goes a little bit like this. Jesus, gentle shepherd, hear me. Be with us this day. Jesus, gentle shepherd, hear me. Guide my life, I pray. So as a young kid, five, six years of age, that shepherd prayer was the first prayer I kind of prayed. So the shepherd's theme is very, very important. But Ezekiel begins by announcing the judgment of God upon the shepherds. The shepherds are the leaders of Israel. And Ezekiel uh, is one of the key prophets of the Old Testament. His name, Ezekiel, means God strengthens. And God is strengthening Israel through Ezekiel's words, both through his words of judgment, and that becomes particularly strong in Ezekiel 34, but also there's many words of restoration and the promises of blessing. So Ezekiel, the one who strengthens, is strengthening Israel through his message. And what he says about these shepherds, these leaders, he brings God's judgment upon them. They have failed the people. And I think the failure, if you look at the text, takes three distinct forms. Firstly, they have failed by neglect, by simply not caring, by neglect. Secondly, there's this theme of greed. They have cared for themselves. They've been trying to follow their own agenda. They have been uh, motivated by their own needs and wants and not the needs and wants of those they should have been caring for. Neglect and greed. And the third theme of failure is to do with the misuse of power. That they have been given authority and they have misused that. They misused that to abuse people and to hurt people. Those avenues of failure, neglect, greed, and the misuse of power, are not just here as a condemnation on the shepherds in Ezekiel 34. I would guess they are recurring themes wherever we see failure. Failure in our own lives, failures in the life of the church, and even failure in the wider world, of politics. Neglect, greed, misuse of power. Now, I wouldn't dream as a Brit to come here and talk about USA politics. <laughs> but hey, if you invite me back. <laughs> but there is that narrative, neglect, greed, misuse of power. And if we're honest, we've seen that in so, so many places. It's often a recurring 
theme. And neglect, greed, and the misuse of power becomes like a deadly cocktail. And if we drink of it, it becomes poisonous, and it will bring nothing but death and destruction. So that's the message, or part of the message of Ezekiel. Yet, there is hope. Because as we read on in that text, it says clearly that the Lord himself will become the shepherd of his people. And as we look at the scriptures, there is this recurring theme that where there is failure, there will be restoration. Where there is exile, there will be return. Where there is sin, there will be forgiveness. Where there is death, there will be life. Where there is despair, there is hope. And where there is a cross, there's an empty tomb. Some 600, 600, 700 years later, after the time of Ezekiel, Jesus of Nazareth declares to the people of Israel, I am the good shepherd. John 10, verse 11. This is one of the seven great I am sayings which shape the message of John's Gospel. If you're a new believer, I encourage you to look at those seven sayings. I think John chooses them to give a kind of template, a framework for teaching who Jesus is through his gospel. So this is one of those seven great I am sayings. I am the good shepherd. And I'm sure that many of the people who heard Jesus make that declaration would come into their mind the teaching earlier by Ezekiel. And they would have recognized that somehow Jesus is contrasting himself with the bad shepherds and identifying himself as Lord, the good shepherd. I think it would be almost impossible for a good Jewish person at that time to hear Jesus make that statement and not think of Ezekiel 34. That's the context for this particular teaching. And the other scripture would have come, which would have come to mind was our reading from the psalm, Psalm 23. So Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. And this is in contrast to the bad shepherds of Ezekiel 34. Where there is neglect or greed or the misuse of power, Jesus shows and demonstrates the complete opposite to those failures. He is not neglectful of his people. The complete opposite is true. Namely, Jesus shows total commitment to his sheep. How? In verse 11, we're told that he will lay down his life for his, for his sheep, for his people. Whatever commitment levels you have, this is the ultimate, isn't it? To be prepared to let go of your life for the sake of someone else. And this is what Jesus did. That while we were still sinners, he was willing to die for us. We celebrate that love in a few moments when we share bread and wine. This is Jesus' commitment to you. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever you're going through, he is committed to you and he loves you. And that love is not just words or tokenism or theological ideas. It took him to shed his blood to show us that. So Jesus shed his blood upon the cross. Here he shows his divinity the I am of God, and he shows his total 
unconditional commitment. But Jesus also shed his blood on two other occasions in the Gospels, perhaps less well known, less central than the cross. He shed his blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't know if you know that story, but he sweated blood. Human beings, when we're under immense stress, will sometimes shed blood through our skin. It's a well-known medical condition when we're in intense stress. And what could be more stressful for Jesus than facing the horrors of Roman crucifixion, a barbaric form of punishment, prepared to maximise pain, to maximise humiliation. So the physicality of that is horrific. But I think there's an even greater pain which Jesus faces as he goes to the cross, that he knows he will take upon himself the sin of the world at that moment. He will actually, in the mystery of Paul's words, he who knew no sin became sin for you and me. The Holy One of God soaked up the whole sin of the world. My sin, your sin, the sin of history, the sin of Hiroshima, the sin of the Holocaust. Jesus soaks all of that up. No wonder in his humanity he shed blood in the garden as he faced that ordeal. So his divinity is shown on the cross, his humanity in the garden. But as one other time he shed blood, many, many years earlier, as a young baby, he was circumcised in the temple and blood would have been shed. The circumcision is the mark, the cutting, the beret of the covenant. And here Jesus shows his identity with the Jewish people. So in order to fully understand Jesus as his disciple, I suggest you need to hold these three things together in your readings, in your study, in your devotion, in your worship, in your liturgy. You hold together and you celebrate the Jewishness of Jesus. You hold together and you celebrate the humanity of Jesus. You hold together and you celebrate his divinity. And in our evangelism, if we can present those three things together, then we begin to make progress. So Jesus sheds his blood as the good shepherd. He also promises to his sheep a particular intimacy in verse 14 of John 10. People will hear his voice and he will speak to them by name. It's so affirming, isn't it, to be spoken to by name. We live in a world where often we're spoken about as, as, as numbers or as commodities or as commercial items. But the Lord speaks to you by name. He knows you personally. And he wants that personal relationship to grow. So in every conceivable way, Jesus the good shepherd is in contrast to the bad shepherds of Ezekiel 34. The principle of the ministry of CMJ and our privilege is to introduce Jewish people to the good shepherd of Israel. And as Darrell has been saying, we've been trying to do that for 209 years in many different ways. And uh, we, we've seen God's faithfulness to us. And we thank you for those of you who are interested in that work here. Thank you for your prayer and for your interest and for your kindness. We pray that work will continue in the generations ahead. And when Jewish people say yes to Jesus, or when any person says yes to Jesus, they find the fulfillment of truth. And just as we had said earlier, 
they too are moved from failure to restoration, from exile to return, from sin to forgiveness, from death to life, from despair to hope, from the cross to the empty tomb. So that's really the main message of Ezekiel 34 and John 10. But I just want to focus on one final piece as I come into land this morning and and wrap this up. I want to just focus on Psalm 23 briefly. This is King David's famous psalm where he declares his relationship with God. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is his shepherd. And David knows that the Lord will provide, guide, protect and bless. Those are the themes in Psalm 23. The Lord, the provider, the guide, the protector and the one who blesses. And I'm sure those of us who are following Jesus, we could all come up here and we could talk in some ways meaningfully about how the Lord has provided for us, guided us and continues to do so, protects us and blesses us. And if that's not been your experience of the Lord, then again, I invite you to pray with people you trust here in the months ahead. And God will show you his provision, his guidance, his protection and his blessing. So there's so much to explore in Psalm 23. But the one thing which struck me a few days ago looking at this is in verse 2, where it says that the shepherd will lead us by still water or silent water, still water, verse 2. I've never been a farmer looking after sheep, I'm not sure if you have, but I've been told by those who seem to know these things, that sheep will never drink from running water. Interesting, they won't come to a river, they'll they'll be scared by that, They'll they'll be kind of sort of freaked out. They won't come, especially if they're really, really desperate, they might, but they, they, they tend to shy away from running water. That's why a good shepherd would always take water and would place it in a trough, a drinking trough or a bucket or in a pool. And sheep would gather around a pool, a bucket or a trough in order to drink. So the still water is a well-known understanding for shepherds. And as followers of Jesus we need on our spiritual journey as well to push into that metaphor, that image. And we need to be still. We need to be silent. We need to take time. And uh, I guess that's true in the UK culture, but I've certainly seen here in the USA culture this this very pressure 24-7 living we have and the demands which many of you are carrying. But if there's one thing you take away from you today, and maybe when you take bread and wine, you can just ask God to confirm this to you. Make time to be still. Make time to be silent. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. There seems to be a connection between being still, authentic, who we are, and knowing God. Psalm 46.10, be still and know. As Exodus 14, verse 14 says, The Lord will fight for you, but you need to be still. And finally, Psalm 37, 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. In the life of Jesus, a good shepherd, I suggest we see a rhythm of the Spirit. 
And there's times when Jesus shows a wonderful stillness, a quietness, a time to rest and to reflect. I'm attracted to that. And I pray in my broken and busy life that some of that stillness of the Spirit will touch me so I may touch and bless other people in the name of the Good Shepherd. My prayer, my longing is that Jewish people particularly will come to encounter Jesus and often for Jewish people, like all people, to encounter God in Christ, they need to have that stillness. Maybe, particularly in the case of Jewish people, away from the clamour and the noise of some of our church history and practice, which sometimes makes connecting with Jesus much more problematic. So there's a call to be still. And we pray that we might present Jesus to them with the stillness and the beauty and the quietness and the grace of the gospel. Not with the confrontation and the battle, but with the quietness of the good shepherd who cares, provides, guides and loves. And anyone who comes to Jesus from whatever background, from whatever community, they know that the good within them, their identity, is renewed and refreshed, not destroyed and broken down. God is not the one who destroys and breaks. He's the one who restores and renews. Because he's like a good shepherd. He cares for you. So, in a few moments we'll take bread and wine. And I just pray that in that time, we may make time to be still. And we may begin to reflect more on the good shepherd. That we may, above all, know him better. And we may help others to know him better as well. Thanks be to Jesus. Amen.